You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. On this episode, Samara Davis shares with us her love of bourbon and her passion for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Samara shares with us her journey and how the Black Bourbon Society came to be and tells us all about her new platform, Diversity Distilled, where she works with corporations to move away from just checking that diversity program box and move forward to diversify their leadership in a thoughtful and meaningful way. And we learned so much more about Samara Davis. This is an episode you won't want to miss. Grab your favorite bourbon and enjoy the show. Well, Samara, thank you so much for joining Julie and I today. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Julie. We're so happy to have you on the show. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Totally. <laughs> well, first off, how are you? I'm good. I, um, I turn 40 tomorrow, so I am in celebration mode and just, you know, ready to reset and take on the new decade with a with you know fresh minds and fresh hearts <laughs> absolutely well 40s are the best let me yeah. tell you it sure is and, it, and then you get to celebrate all year long so it starts and and you'll be celebrating for the rest of the year thank you i um was supposed to spend my i was supposed to turn 40 in mexico and well we know how this year ended so Hopefully, (laughs) um, we'll be spending the new year in Mexico. Hopefully, we'll be able to end 2020 going into 2021, celebrating for the entire year that we made it. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. yeah, Made it through. Well, can you tell us how you like to drink your bourbon? Oh, uh, I like to drink my bourbon a number of ways, mostly neat. Uh, especially now that it's fall and, you know, the weather is cooling off. I love to start to pull out my high-proof bourbons and just, you know, chill and watch the sunset and, and sip. But I also enjoy my bourbon and cocktails. Yeah, me too. And, yeah, like I just love playing around with, um, right now I've got this big obsession with vermouth. So I've been playing around with Manhattans a lot, with Boulevardiers, uh, just really enjoying some classic cocktails. Uh, but I also really do like fresh citrus and, and playing around with different fruits and, um, you know, all the different liqueurs and stuff. So I love it. And I love it neat and also in cocktails. That's awesome. What, what ignited like your passion for bourbon? That is a long story. Um, how much time do we have? We have all the time in the world for you, Samara. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know all about you. Um, you know, I fell in love with bourbon. I'm relatively new to bourbon. 
I will say that I fell in love with bourbon about five years ago. Um, I was married, young 30s, mid 30s at the time. And um, I was a huge wine drinker. So um, I would drink wine often and my ex-husband would often walk into a room, see me drinking wine and snub his nose at me as if like I had an issue. And um, he loved to drink scotch or he liked to drink whiskey actually. So I picked up whiskey trying to find a way to connect with him. Okay. And trying to find a way to bond with him. And, you know, the running joke is I fell in love with whiskey and fell out of love with him. So there goes that. Yeah. So, so whiskey won you over. Yeah. And it wasn't <laughs> necessarily whiskey. It was definitely bourbon. Um, and to be even more specific, it was Four Roses Single Barrel. That really? Yeah when it came to spirits. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, can you tell our listeners about your journey, Samara, and what inspired you to create the Black Bourbon Society and Diversity Distilled? So um, again, going all the way back into time now, what feels like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I fell in love with bourbon in 2015. I um, was in nonprofits back in that time period, doing a lot of fundraising grant work. And um, I always had my own event planning business on the side. So I've always been just a go-getter, always been busy keeping a couple of things in the fire for myself. Um, And I was planning this uh, private event for uh, this author who was writing a book and she was releasing her book on the West Coast in San Francisco where I lived at the time. And at that event, um, I met a woman who worked for one of the agencies that promotes bourbon for, um, you know, for a brand that promotes uh, event that did events for a bourbon brand. Um, And so from that, she was new to the um, San Francisco area. She asked to bring me on as someone who planned events for her in the San Francisco Bay area. Um, So it was kind of like a third party planning and producing these events for um, direct consumer marketing, you know, and geared target audiences. And through that, I realized that I was creating events for audiences that didn't look like me. And I found that to be extremely problematic. And, you know, definitely, you know, expressed to her my dismay and um, irritation and dissatisfaction with the brands producing these elaborate, like, dinner parties, whiskey and dinner parties, uh, um, cocktail hour parties, um, you know, all the, all the gamut. And, you know, we have all, as being a part of this industry, have been to these fabulous events that the brands put on. Um, and none of it was necessarily geared towards an African-American demographic. Um, and so as a way to prove to her that this demographic um, was worthy of participating in events like this or having... Um, dedicated catered events towards them as consumers, I decided to create Black Bourbon Society. Um, And so we started in 2016 in San Francisco, uh, producing events for um, an upscale African-American consumer. And I wanna make sure, let me backtrack a little bit. African-Americans definitely existed in the marketing decks for the brands, but they existed within the urban demographic, which is much younger. 20 to 25, um, very urban hip hop, um, very um, shut the club down, kind of a party scene, right. um, 
as an introduction to the spirits industry. And again, as a middle-aged 35-year-old wife with two young children, I didn't feel like I fit into that crowd and neither did my friends. And so I definitely started to cultivate and um, develop a newer demographic of a more sophisticated African-American consumer base that most of the brands, and for that instance, most marketing standards were completely unaware of. And so that's when we started creating events in Atlanta. I mean, in Oakland, we soon after started producing events here in Atlanta. And four years later from, you know, starting Black Bourbon Society, we now produce events all across the country with a membership of over 20,000 um, primarily African-American um, consumers from all across the country and even overseas. That's amazing. And overseas as well. So you are international. Yeah. Yeah. We're international. Um, I haven't been there yet, but we do pick up a lot of um, African-American servicemen and women and um, a lot of expats who okay. live in, you know, pods in, in London or over in Abu Dhabi, um, even in Mexico and um, down in Asia, um, this is interesting. The study, I haven't done any research on this, but there's a huge amount of African-Americans that have actually left the country and have, you know, created their own communities in different cities and countries across the globe. And we're very much in tune and plugged into those networks as well through Black Urban Society. Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't realize you guys are, inter that the um, society was international. So that's very cool. That's really yeah. cool. And so can you tell us, you know, some of the things that the Black Bourbon Society does? Um, you know, some of the events that you've thrown, maybe some of the yeah. education that you've put out there. So, you know, it feels, um, it feels a little weird talking about events being thrown just because I know. this year feels like we've aged 10 years already, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, I do know. <laughs> but pre-COVID living, let's just put it that way. Uh, we definitely produced events across the country. We did a lot of, um, of happy hours. We did uh, custom programming with some of the brands like uh, Wild Turkey, uh, Maker's Mark, uh, Glenfiddich. Uh, we partnered with Woodford Reserve and Old Forester. Um, and we've done these amazing like tasting experiences, um, food and, and whiskey pairings, definitely a ton of education. We've gotten an opportunity to incorporate um, some civic discussions, like um, just having some sort of like um, roundtable sessions where we're not only tasting whiskey and learning about bourbon, but um, we get a chance to talk about things like entrepreneurship and um, being a leader, um, being, um, you know, relationships, all the whole nine. Uh, we've been able to create some pretty, pretty unique programming um, one of the most successful programs that we've done over the course of Black Bourbon Society is our partnership with Maker's Mark, where we have a, um, where we selected a barrel with them back in 2018. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when we, when we picked that barrel, we immediately, we pre-sold pre the barrel. The, the, the barrel was sold out before it was even delivered. But uh, we sent a couple bottles over to San Francisco World Spirits Competition um, and it went on to win a double gold in San Francisco, you know, um, in 2019. 
Uh, since then, we've replicated that barrel pick, that barrel selection with makers over 20 times in different cities and have planned um, a variety of programming from um, dinner pairings, cocktail um, competitions, uh, happy hours, you name it, all around uh, the bottle that, we, uh, that we've uh, created through Maker's Mark, a private barrel select. So, so that's just to name a few of the things that we've done over yeah. the years. That bottle is delicious, by the way. Yeah. It is so good. It is amazing. Yeah. And I will have it's to. not easy to do. It's not. And it's so good. That's yeah, it's not easy to do. And it's, I will say that, you know, the fact that we kind of hit it out of the borrow park the first time around definitely leaves um, a lot of pressure for the second barrel. Oh, sure. <laughs> well, I hope you have that in the works. I can't wait to try it. Yeah, fingers crossed, you know, uh, there's some opportunities for us to discontinue barrel pick one and to recreate a second barrel with makers um, coming up towards the end of the year and to be released in 2021. Oh, that's exciting news. Very, very cool. I mean, obviously, you know, with with COVID-19 and, and not being able to do all the events that you were able to do last year um, has also given you the opportunity to launch Diversity Distilled, yeah. which is, um, you know, I mean, I think there's, there's some positive that we're able to get out of COVID-19 to really emphasize the work that needs to be done. So could you tell us a little bit more about the work you're doing with Diversity Distilled? Absolutely. Uh, we actually started Diversity Distilled at the beginning part of the year. Um, it came out of several conversations that we were having um, in 2018 and in 2019, when we were really looking to, again, not only change the marketing standards as, as it was geared towards African-American consumers, um, but we noticed that there was a, a total need for more diversity and inclusion within the industry as a whole. And so um, working, you know, just through our, our, um, our existing relationships that we have with like Bourbon Society, uh, we noticed that we were making inroads and we were able to change perceptions with on and off premise reps for most of these brands. But it was very, um, it was still working on the outside layers of the industry itself the real work in order to really see the change that we wanted, especially when it was regards to the way marketing decisions were being made, were to, was to go internal within each one of the brands and go straight to the top. Uh, so we created Diversity Distilled in January as a nonprofit organization that uh, consults with brands to really look deep um, into their um, hiring practices and to find opportunities to recruit, retain, and promote a diverse talent within the organizations itself, um, and to really solve some of these, um, the major diversity issues that were at hand. So um, what we saw was that a lot of diverse talent hung kind of on the outer layers again, maybe through agency or maybe at the very lower level, like boots on the ground, but when it actually came to key marketing decisions, when it actually came to lead, key leadership positions or even key hiring positions, um, there was no diversity within the organizations at all. And that's where um, there needs to be diversity. That's where inclusion actually kicks in is um, having uh, diverse talent included in making key decisions 
for um, the for the company strategy. So that's what diversity took on. Like you said, um, we like like we said, um, diversity is still started in January, but due to COVID, we kind of had to push it to the back burner uh, just to save urban society and to figure out how to survive in a digital platform. You know. Well, it's definitely needed. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of corporations that are just out there, you know, kind of checking that box. Oh, absolutely. But this so, is this is life. This is a work of a lifetime. This is not just right, you know, checking a box. It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> and so and so work. we we brought back diversity distilled to the forefront and you know, maybe prematurely, but like you said, it's it's something that's needed. Um, we kicked it off to the side at the beginning of the year when we had to kind of pivot and save Black Urban Society and change its business model to to um, to work during a you know during lockdown and in a digital space. Uh, but we very much were forced to push diversity distilled forward after um, the murders of Breonna Taylor and also George Floyd. Um, and all of the uh, surgeons of um, racial injustice that started happening in this country, um, we really felt it was poignant to bring it back. Um, and that happened through an open letter that we wrote to the industry back in, what is that, May, June? That was during um, Labor Day weekend. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was really disappointing during that time period. Uh, other companies for other industries were starting to post black tiles in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. And um, for the most part, the spirits industry was silent. And this is not a time to be silent. Silence is being complicit. And so we, we um, wrote that open letter to the industry to say like, hey, you gotta, you gotta jump in and join reality because the world around you is fighting for social justice and, and fighting for change and inclusion and diversity, and you're, you're not doing anything. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm a part of the school of thought to say like, it's just not enough to point the finger and say, hey, this is wrong. Um, I'm a part of the school of thought that also says, this is wrong, but here's a solution. And so we definitely brought back diversity distilled and have been um, very active in working with brands um, to, you know, understand the need to be uh, present in what's going on in our society today, not only is on a societal level, but then again, pushing that notion of how can we do better as an industry? How can we be more diverse and inclusive? How can we really um, help to be a solution instead of being silent? Um, right. right. Well, what, what can some brands actively be doing? And, you know, Julie and I, we work for, for a distributor. Yeah. So what are some action items? Um, number one, the action item that's actually the hardest to do is to admit that you need help. A lot of brands don't want to admit they have a diversity issue. A lot of brands don't even want to admit that they need to be more diverse. And so the awareness is key. The awareness that, yes, I can do better. The awareness that we have not done well um, in diversity, that we have um, actually had some pretty um, awful practices around nepotism and, um, and just 
like a good old boys club. And, and that doesn't, you know, diversity is still does not only just, uh, uh, does not only apply to African-American talent. It's, it's more about diversity and inclusion. So that includes women, that includes African-Americans, that includes Latinx, that includes Asian-Americans, and the list goes on, LGBTQIA, disability, um, the, the whole nine. Um, and so when you look at the distrib distributors especially, <laughs> um, but then also the spirits industry as a whole, there's definitely room to be more diverse. And admitting that is absolutely the hardest part. So that's number one. If you can admit it, then you can find the solution and you're open to finding the solution. And that's where we can come in. We can even help you admit it, but that's the number one key of where to get started is just admitting that you have a problem and that it needs to be fixed. It needs to be changed, yeah. Well, I know um, Julie and I, we were speaking um, a lot about the term multicultural. And I believe that Julie had a great question for you around that. Yeah, that was, you know, it's a term that's always, you know, being somebody from a mixed race family and, and I've grown up um, in very diverse cultures uh, and, and been around a lot of different people. So that was a new term for me once I, you know, I've started in sales, I started getting into marketing and, and I was like, well, what do you mean multicultural? What does that mean? You know, and, and it, it always felt a little bit, the term always felt a little bit derogatory and dismissive of a unique because you're saying they're different. So we're just going to all group them as multicultural. Um, but I recognize this is, you know, one of the terms that you use. So you just kind of roll with it. And when I was on your guys's panel, you know, on at pills with a cocktail, um, avoiding performative wokeness and instituting real change in hospitality, wanted to get that clear. Cause I love that title. I think it means a lot. Um, I was I was really um, you know happy to hear that all all of you leaders in the industry felt the same way and then and then I was going back to your New York Times article about yes African Americans drink bourbon and Fawn Weaver I think said it great you know the founder of Uncle Nearest she said it best she said as an African American I don't want to be targeted but I want to be included. Right. So I feel like a lot of these marketing initiatives and, and I think that the intent is there, you know, but it's not inclusive. It's more of targeting. Right. So I, I, that's something that I took away is how do we change that now? Because we've got roles and divisions all around labeling multicultural, but if it's so offensive to the communities that they're meant to engage in, how important is it for brands and distributors to get away from using that term now? And, and how do they do that? You know, do you just rip the Band-Aid or, or do, you, do you go through a process? That's a loaded question. <laughs> I like uh, ripping the Band-Aid, but, you know, I, I know that. Um, it's not quite as easy as ripping the Band-Aid just because um, so much effort has gone into creating multicultural um, let's take this all the way back. Multicultural in this industry means everybody else. And that, in, like, you know, it's working with the brand and we were really trying to figure out, again, what is the term multicultural? Is that African-Americans? Is that Latinx? Is that Asian-Americans? Is that, like, where is that? But for, for that particular brand, that included women, 
that included LGBTQIA, that included anybody that wasn't a white male, a middle-aged white male for their consumer. The thing that is very problematic about that is that multicultural is huge when you look at the population of who is all tucked in underneath that that label, um, but they only get maybe an eighth or not even a third, maybe an eighth of the budget. So it's like you've got the majority of your marketing budget spent on middle-aged white men and then just this tiny bucket over here, depending on where you live and who's running your territory, that gets this that gets to manage funds for multicultural. And so there's no equity in that. It's not equal at all. There's no inclusion in that because again, it creates this us and then everybody over here type of scenario. So it actually creates more division. Um, and and it really does create blur the lines for folks who really do want to get in, in, in front of diverse audiences. They don't know how to actually approach diverse audiences because different people manage different buckets or they have different responsibilities. Um, so the word multicultural is complicated. And it's complicated even more when it comes down to addressing and assigning responsibilities from a sales perspective within the brands. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm not quite familiar with how it actually works for the distributor side, but I can imagine it's even more divisive in its approach and built primarily off of stereotypes. I'm gonna go ahead and make that full on assumption that is probably built off of stereotypes. Um, how we can get past that is, again, looking at ways for us to, um, to build more genuine engagement. Let's go all the way back up to the top when it comes to marketing. Let's go all the way back to looking at how can we genuinely connect with all of our consumers. And, you know, for, for one, it's, created a created good product that everyone loves. There's not a product that black people like more than white people do. There's not one product that only middle-aged white men prefer over Latinx women. Like whiskey is whiskey. We love it. As long as it's good, we'll drink it. <laughs> so again, it's, you know, stop creating barriers around it and create more of your, your marketing and your, your talk, your focus is more on the quality of your product versus who it's for. Um, so that's another thing. And, it, and then that of course comes with sensitivity training and then also um, uh, training and understanding of all races and all cultures so that you can be prepared to have a conversation as a sales rep, as a distributor, you're prepared to have a conversation with anyone yeah. to purchase your whiskey. Because again, we may all be different, but money is green. And at the end of the day, you just want to make the sale. Yeah. So I think there needs to stop being some division as to whose dollars come from where and how much, how much we want from each demographic. So there's, there's got to be a lot of changing involved in that. Um, I'm kind of rambling off because it was such a, a loaded question, but I hope, I hope the point that I'm getting to is that... Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I could go off into some different sets about it, but it's actually a disservice, I think, for the brands 
to um, to segment out multicultural. Well, I love you know, and I and I love hearing from you because you know you you definitely it. it you hear that, that you come from a strong marketing and, and agency background. And I think you just said something that just like made the light bulb go off when you think of a distributor, because we are kind of that bridge to the brand and, and getting it into the stores. And it is really around sales is we do a good job training our teams. Well, I think we do on the brands and the products, but how well are we doing on training them about our people? and the communities, right? And and I think that that's definitely anybody that's listening is how much are you training your teams, whether you're, what other, whatever hospitality industry you are, um, whatever field, whether you're from the supplier side or distributor side is, if you really wanna talk about, if you call it multicultural or being, you know, wanting to connect with other cultures and other genders, what kind of training do you have to learn more about those people, you know, the different types of people and their cultures? Because right. I think that would really help um, bridge those gaps once you learn. Right. And before you even learn that, I think there's a ton of unlearning that has to happen. You know, I think, again, a lot of the uh, marketing standards have been built off of stereotypes. And... Um, it doesn't do us any service as an industry that is growing by leaps and bound, bounds with uh, female consumers and consumers of color. So um, you can't have this preconceived notion about or, and, or these stereotypes built on consumers of color and or women um, or, and or LGBTQ plus. And um, you really haven't, you don't know who they are for, for fact, you know, they're all built on these stereotypes. They're all built on assumptions and they're all built on biases. So, um, and a lot of the marketing standards and a lot of the marketing decks that we have are all perpetuated in that, how we market, where we market to them in their communities, um, how we create cocktails around, you know, certain drinks for those communities are all like built off of biases. So mm -hmm. we've got to unlearn a lot of that first before we can then say, okay, now this is what, this is how we honor each one of those communities differently instead of assuming that this community likes it this way. So there's, there's some, there's some total training that needs to happen there. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the customer's aware of that, of this gap, of this diversity cap, you know, gap that is in our industry? Um, yes and no. If they're, if you're a member of Black Bourbon Society, you're totally aware of it because I mean, this is, this is what we talk about and, and, and this is a part of our mission. Um, but I think we are, um, either if it's con subconsciously, we are, I think we all get a little irritated when we see, um, a, a woman, you know, and not with not that many clothes on her or her shorts are super short. Yes, you know, ma'am. Sitting down, <laughs> drinking a bottle of, uh, or drinking a glass of, of whiskey, you know, like it's not necessarily sex. Like I'm glad men think it's sexy to drink whiskey, but we don't drink whiskey because it's sexy. We drink whiskey because it's good. Yeah. It's you know? good. Yep. Yeah. So it's like, you know, um, how we are portrayed in the media, how we're portrayed in advertising um, on TV and in print, 
I definitely think we do pick up on that. Um, and so we are aware that, you know, it feels a little bit like, you know, like with the Mina, the Mina, what's her name? Mina Kunis mm-hmm. ads for Jim Beam. I can't, I still can't figure out if those ads are for us as women or for men, mm-hmm. you know? And so where is, the, <laughs> how do women in whiskey follow that, you know? Um, because again, the men love Mina. She's a beautiful woman. We as women agree with that too. But the way she's dressed, the way she's talked, the messaging that she's given, is she advertising to us as women to drink more whiskey alongside of her? Or is she just really there for eye candy for men to drink more whiskey? That's hugely problematic. Um, and we, and I think subconsciously we pick that up and we kind of draw some resentment around that, you know? Well, I know like across my career, um, I've been asked so many times as a woman, you know, specifically because I'm a woman, um, well, what kind of whiskeys do you enjoy as a woman? And what are, you know, what are, how are women ordering whiskeys at the bar? Are your, is your partner or your husband or your boyfriend ordering it for you? Or do you just order what he's ordering? You know what I'm saying? Um, at the bar, or is this something that you, you know, just go out and naturally do? Well, my grandmother was a whiskey drinker. So guess where I learned to drink whiskey was from Rosella. Um, I've been drinking whiskey for years you know, it wasn't something that came down from my dad or my husband or boyfriends or anything. It was just because it's good. Can things just be delicious? And that's why we want to drink them. Oh, I have drank many a man underneath the table trying to catch up with me. (laughs) (laughs) But but that makes sense is when Uh these brands should actually connect with that target audience, right? I mean, well, target audience, I'm saying target, but with that demographic or that group, whether it's women that drink whiskey, if you're trying to appeal to women and your whiskey to women, talk to the women that drink whiskey and build it around that, then these biases that, that are out there and what you think uh, people want to see. And, and here's the thing with that. What we've realized is that some of the brands, they definitely target women, but again, it's, um, it's more of a sweeter bourbon. It's, you know, they've got one expression on their portfolio that they say, that they identify as, this is the bourbon that we will market to women. This specific one, not the entire portfolio. And that's where they shoot themselves in the foot. It's like, great, market that to us, but show us your whole line. You know, give us everything. Same thing with African-Americans. They often give us very entry-level bourbons, very affordable, bottom of the, I don't want to say bottom of the barrel whiskeys, but that's often the case, um, not in, in, in hide the rest of the labels of the rest of the portfolio to us. So we may get, um, I, don't, I don't want to put anybody's brands out there, but we may get the $19.99 bottle, maybe the $29.99 bottle. But the allocated, high-proof, barrel-proof, barrel-select, they're just like, oh, no, we're not even going to talk about that because we've pigeonholed you, we've identified you as being specifically connected to this one expression that we make. That's where you shoot yourselves in the foot. Mm -hmm. Um, And it shouldn't be that way. It should be, this is our company. 
This is our portfolio. This is what we have to offer. Let us educate. Let us, let us run you through the whole line. Let us have you sample the whole line. And you pick what's best for you. Yeah. Let us That's ask you questions yeah. and then guide you just like a sommelier would do with the right wine, right? It's, it's get to learn that. You know, another thing, and, and Bridget brought this up about when you go to order whiskey and do you have, you know, your order, whatever he's ordering. I notice that a lot about wine because my, my background is, is wine. And every time we go to a restaurant and I ask for the wine list, it always goes to my husband, right? So those are things that, how do we do that? How do we talk to our frontline in the trade, our servers, our bartenders, right? And, and they are probably the most diverse community that's, that's out there. They're a true representation of our country. And how do we, how do we ask them to help to, to, to really not differentiate based on gender when they are bringing you the wine list or the cock, you know, and, and offering the different whiskeys and the different products that are available. Make no assumptions. And I, and you know, one of the things who tales of the cocktail, like the, the seminars that we had last week, um, make no assumptions. Um, you know, we, <laughs> this has happened to me too. I just laugh all the time. And typically I will just be like, you know what? Forget it. I'm getting up. I'm going to the bar and I'm going to look and see what's on your shelf. And then I'll make my selection from there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think as, uh, as servers and, you know, as far as bar staff, it's make no assumption about your consumer, you know, just be willing and be open to receive whatever the order is, be always available to answer questions. And it's, again, it's another touch point for, uh, for the bartenders, for the servers, to also educate consumers as well. And the brands know this, right? This is why the brand spends so much time educating bar staff is because they are, they're walking billboards for them, you know? Um, but it is make no, make no assumption about anybody. Yep. And, that's and give them all the options. Yeah. And right? that's the least you can ask in 2020. That's the least you can ask of all of humanity. Make no assumptions, mm -hmm. you know? That's some great advice. Yeah. Make no assumptions. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And, but it is so true. And I know um, it goes beyond just, you know, getting that, the, um, the wine list or the cocktail list, or, you know, we're just scratching the surface right there. The bill. What we need to change. The, <laughs> the freaking bill. bill. Give the me bill. the bill. <laughs> yeah, give me the bill. <laughs> you yeah. know. Oh, I've, I've, I've had to say like, no, I requested the bill give it to me <laughs> like you know but um whatever i've given my credit <laughs> card and they bring it back for I my husband that. to sign i yeah, mean they've done that too yeah. yeah yeah too many times um <laughs> so, too well, many like, times. Again, like i said this is the time there's, there's a ton of unlearning it's a ton of unlearning. And I think, again, this is the year that we are being forced to unlearn everything. Like whatever happens out of this year, whenever we come out of COVID, it will not be the same. It will not go back to an old normal. It will be a new normal. Um, and so in each one of our lives, we've had to adjust, adapt. We've had to recreate. We've had to pivot and switch. 
this is the perfect time to unlearn everything that was old because we've got to do it differently moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, we, we definitely do. Have you seen any change, any real change during COVID? Do you feel like we're making some progress? Um, I think it's still too early. Mm-hmm. I think the type of change that we want to make in the industry is going to take years. Mm-hmm. It's going to take investment. Um, and so, you know, we will soon see, you know, as the new budget starts to roll out for 2021 and into 2022, um, how the brands allocate their funding towards uh, DNI and making it a priority um, towards diverse hires and um, in, in, you know, finding pathways within our organizations to, to promote and to um, increase their, you know, their diverse staff. We'll start to see um, how they're actually implementing this. Um, so yeah, it's a little too early, but uh, we're hopeful and, you know, we're invested in this for the long run. So it's, we're just getting started. And we plan to hold the brands accountable um, from here until I give up. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think we really are at that awareness stage. You know, I mean, it's yeah. it's sad that it's 2020 and we're now aware of the the racial injustice and and what a lot of us have known to exist, but we've all just kind of got used to it and well, that's just the way it is. And we'll just all do what we can to, to take care of ourselves and, and continue moving forward. And I think what co- with COVID happening and then, you know, all of uh, what's happened with just George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, it's, it's really given everybody a chance to say, no, it's not just about me and, and where I need to go. It's about what can we do to finally change uh, the course and the trajectory. And, and it really starts with awareness. You can't change if you're not aware mm-hmm. of your own contribution and, and everything around you. So right. I think the brands are, you know, there are a lot more than I thought when, it, when everything just came out. I was like, nobody is going to say anything that it's not going to happen because I've been in this industry for a long time and, and I'm very proud of the, the positions that the brands have took, uh, the distributors, Southern Glazers has really come out and, and we're in a lot of work is being done internally, right? You got to fix what's in your house. And, and I'm really proud of a lot of the work that we're doing. So yeah, the change, when are we going to see it? It's going to be in the long term, the long run. Well, something that you just said, Julie, is, you know, we have to hold ourselves accountable before we can hold anyone else accountable, Mm -hmm. you know, before we can hold anybody else accountable. It has to start with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yourself, your household, and then start building from there. We have so much work to do. We have, I mean, yeah. And so, yeah, we've got a lot of work to do. Some of this requires therapy, which I am not. But I'm not a therapist, but, um, you know, it, it takes a while for us to admit that there's an issue um, and for us to address those issues, however personal they are. Some of our biases are so deeply personal um, and it comes from all, I mean, I have biases. Everyone has natural biases. There are things that were taught to us by our parents, by our, grand, by our grandparents, um, the world, the society we lived in as children, our schools, 
all of those um, we've got to address. And so that just doesn't happen overnight, you know, but it's the willingness um, to try and get through that work. That is what's important for right now. And then, like you said, we can totally start to implement some change within the brands. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you are doing so much, Samara. You're doing so much with the Black Bourbon Society, with Diversity Distilled. You're in all these podcasts. You're at conventions. <laughs> what are you doing to achieve just a little bit of work-life balance? Are you doing anything um, that you can tell our listeners? So I meditate a lot. Um, I hold my space sacred so that I can just meditate and still be quiet. Um, I love my family. I, you know, I carve out time for my children and my husband and, um, and yeah. And some, sometimes I'm a really good mom and I'm a really good wife. And then sometimes I'm, I'm a really awesome boss of like Women's society and diversity distilled. There is no real balance in that, but, um, I, 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 I throw up boundaries so that I can stay sane. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's definitely key is boundaries. And I always believe in um, satisfaction more than I do balance. <laughs> Just yeah. kind of loving what's happening right now because be in the moment. In the moment. Uh, and, that, and that's where I'm at. Um, I'm actually finishing up The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And uh, I really do enjoy the now. And you know, it, sometimes it irritates folks who work with me because I don't respond to emails right away and I don't meet every deadline on time um, or I don't post as much as I should on social media, but I'm living in the now. So whatever is in front of me, I am actually giving my 100% to and then and I can move on to the next thing and give my 100% to that. Um, but I can't, um, but I just learned that, you know, I, I have to just, live and, and enjoy each moment and, and experience for what it is and not stress about all the other stuff like yeah because all the other stuff will what's always next, what's be next there. yeah all that other yeah. stuff will always be there it's not going anywhere and you know that's a big lesson i've learned for 2020 is like look as long as i wake up and i'm still alive like it'll get done <laughs> i'm not stressing myself out about anything like I just want to be able to breathe at this point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Who are some of your mentors? Have you had some great mentors al along the way or do you have any great mentors now? Um, I have, so I admit there's no one that's doing exactly what I'm doing. Like I, I am waiting in the dark here um, um, and pioneering. And, and so that's a very interesting place to be because you don't have that many leaders. There's nobody who's done this before. So it, every day is a trial and error day for me. Um, there are definitely people who I look up and respect in this industry. Um, and so I kind of take bits and pieces from what they've done um, and have taken and tried to channel their energy into what I'm doing. Um, I think Jackie Summers is a really good friend of mine and um I wouldn't say mentor, but he's more of my, my colleague. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's someone who I have seen um, speak very unapologetically about diversity and inclusion in this industry. 
And um, he's paved the way for me. He's invited me to speak on a ton of panels with him and always providing opportunities to share my voice and my perspective. Um, so I always admire and look up to him. Um, Tracy Franklin is another really good friend. She's, um, she was uh, one of the uh, brand ambassadors for Glenfiddich. She's now the first um, student for the Jack, Nearson Jack Initiative um, and learning how to become a master distiller underneath that new program that started this year. Um, she, her boldness and um, being able to perform and to, um, and to command a room and um, engage others is very, um, is, is like a mentor to me just because I can, I love channeling her energy and I'm always thinking, okay, how would Tracy take this on? You know, <laughs> how can I channel her energy? How can I be bubbly? How can I be smiley? How can I command a room like Tracy does? Um, who else? And I think that's, there's a couple of other folks, uh, Peggy No Stevens actually, uh, who um, I wouldn't necessarily say she's a mentor, but again, she's a role model for me. Mm -hmm. um, she's another woman in this, in this whiskey space that is bourbon adjacent. She's not necessarily brand, but she has definitely made her mark on this industry. Um, and being a master taster, starting um, her group, Bourbon Women, and, um, you know, really showing um, how to, how to um, be an advocate for women in this industry. Uh, she's, she's been a big um, inspiration for me too. You have but, such an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit about you. Has mm -hmm. it always been that way? You know, have, have you always thought like, I'm not going to work for anyone else. I'm going to create my own space always and bring everyone along with me. Yeah. Um, I am four, fourth, fifth generation entrepreneur in my family. And okay. so I always knew I wanted to own my own business. I had no clue I would end up in this space. Um, but I have always wanted to own my own business. And again, like I said, I was working like a, a full-time job in nonprofit fundraising um, and also had my event planning business on the side. So I've always had like my own thing. But now this is my full-time thing. This is, this is the space where I love to be in. And my husband, um, he's, he's an entrepreneur as well. And I, I have to say, he has pushed me and challenged me. And he always takes my idea and he goes, that's great. And you can do this. Like, he's always like, that's, that's good. That's first level. But how could you maximize that? Um, so he's the best partner for me because he totally pushes me um, more than I would have ever pushed myself in the entrepreneurial space. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's important, especially right now Yeah, you know, when you're really doing so much work. Yeah. I mean, it's important to have somebody at home that just, you know, is pushing it. And that's part of it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I should say this is my new husband because the old husband, we, yes. got rid of. we got rid of him. Yeah, the, the second that. one's always, well, not always, not in Bridget's <laughs> case, but in my, we, we have a lot in common. So my second one is a true partner and definitely, you know, we couldn't have what we have without each other and supporting each other and pushing each other. And I know Bridget has the same in Jamie because we all love Jamie. Yeah, exactly. Yep. yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
how can our listeners become members of the Black Bourbon Society and find out more about um, Diversity Distilled? Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Black Bourbon Society. Um, our website is blackbourbonsociety.com. And there you can find information about events, our memberships. Um, you can visit the society store and get shirts and, and, um, and glassware and all that great stuff. We have a private Facebook group on, um, on Facebook. We have a, a private Facebook group where we have 24-7 discussion about bourbon, diversity, and inclusion, and the whole nine, and a, and a whole bunch more. We also have daily digital programming on that page. Um, so definitely come join us, join the conversation. We welcome all. Um, a lot of folks ask me, which it seems kind of self-explanatory, but I guess not. People ask, I'm not black. Like, can I join the Black Purpose Society? Absolutely. <laughs> we are a group about diversity and inclusion. And so we are, we are inclusive to all. Um, as long as you believe in that notion about, um, you know, having more inclusion within the spirits industry, we welcome you and we can't wait to connect with you online. I'm really glad that you mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, do yeah. you have any advice to give to the next generation coming up in our industry? Yes. Um, to the folks that are coming into this industry who are coming up in this industry, be bold, um, be passionate, and um, stand up for what is true and what is right. Um, the thing that I love about the spirits industry is that there is space for, for any and all ideas. Um, and you can carve your own lane in this space, in this industry, and it can be very well received. Um, I, again, I was in a nonprofit fundraising space and those people are not nearly as cool <laughs> as the folks in the yeah. industry. <laughs> people um, in our industry so, are pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, we've got, we've got whiskey, we've got all the spirits around us, um, and so what's there not to like about us, you know? Um, and so just, just be bold and be daring, be yourself. Um, there is a way to, to fit you into this industry. We definitely appreciate your time today, Samara. Thank you so much for joining our show. Um, I know Julie and I were so excited to have you on and we're hoping that when, when we are able to, to have a cocktail with you in person. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Can't wait. Except let, let's give me a break. Like, cause I told you my, my drinking schedule has been <laughs> ridiculous. Um, so I need to sober up a little bit, but then yes. It probably won't be until after the new year because yeah. travel is still on hold. Are you, did you say you, where do you live? I'm in Atlanta. You're in Atlanta. Okay. I saw that you also went to FIU. You're an alumni at um, I mean, Florida State. State University, FSU. Yeah. Yep. I went to Florida A&M University and also Florida State. Um, my degrees are actually in art history and arts administration. So I'm a museum girl. Nice. But, <laughs> but I love whiskey the most. So.
That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we want to wish you all of our best and for you to stay well and, and for peace and, um, and to enjoy the hell out of your birthday, Samara. We we expect you to be pickled and well-preserved next time we speak to you. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!